Welcome to the Making Learning Visible podcast. This is a companion piece to the Making Learning Visible showcase, which is housed directly across from Stedman Auditorium. This podcast and the showcase offer a window into teaching and learning at Renbrook. My name is Betsy Flynn, and I'm here with my co-host, Dave Blodgett. Hi, Dave. Hi, Betsy. This is our second season, Dave. I know And it. we've had, uh, we have three podcasts already in the can, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really happy to be back for uh, season two. Right. And this season, we're going to start off with a conversation about music. We're here today with Emma Berger, the instrumental teacher, and Katie Dawson, choral music teacher, to discuss how to make a musician. So how do you create a musician? (laughs) Well, there are a lot of things that we think about when we're planning our curriculum and we're planning what to do with each age group. But we have uh, three overarching skills that we want kids to have or to become through their time in our music classes. So we want our students to become tuneful, beatful, and artful. Mm. These are three terms coined by John Feyerabend. and he, uh, he used to be the head of music education at the Hart School locally here, and he's a national name in music education um, and considered to be a really great place to begin, especially for young children. So tuneful would be the ability to carry a tune, beatful, the ability to keep a steady beat, Uh, An artful, the ability to appreciate beautiful music, uh, to make music expressively, to move to music expressively. And these are three skills that we hope we can can have all children become by the end of their time at Renbrook. So that leads into my next question, and you kind of answered it, but I wonder if you want to add anything to this, Emma or Katie. What musical skills do you hope students have at the end of eighth grade? Well, we hope they have a lot of musical skills, but, (laughs) uh, you know, and and you can get really into the weeds here and you can talk about very specific things, right? You know, as a band person, I could talk about, I really want them to be able to, you know, um, decode a fingering chart, but that's not really the main point, of course. The main point is that they are musically literate overall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So musical literacy is a lot of things and musical literacy can include, of course, reading music, decoding fingering charts, um, but it's also... Being able to be in an ensemble and being able to have an independent part, being able to hear yourself in relation to others in an ensemble, Um, particularly in chorus, it's fantastic when a student can adjust what they're doing in the moment Mm -hmm. based on what they can hear around them. And the same for band, but um, those singing skills can sometimes be a little bit more challenging to adjust in the moment. And um, that just makes a student so much more confident and able to move forward with their musicianship in the future when they have those skills at the end of eighth grade. Another thing we really want students to have by the end of eighth grade are a really strong foundation of critical thinking skills. So this comes up a lot when the students transition from uh, small class sizes into the larger ensembles in the upper school where they're used to having really close one-on-one attention and then all of a sudden they're in a big group of kids and the teacher can't give them all of the personal attention or give them all of the answers or you know help them individually. So when they have those critical thinking skills, they can then solve those problems on their own and that helps them work in a group of, with a lot of people. Um, the final thing we really want students to have when they graduate from Renbrook is the ability to learn music and practice music independently. So that goes along with those bigger ensembles, right? So when a student has a question, 
there's not always time in a large group situation to answer every specific question. They should be able to, you know, reference a fingering chart or look up a note or figure out a rhythm by themselves. And that way um, we can move forward with music making in the ensemble setting and not as much of the detail work. They can be in charge of their own detail work. Right. And I'll get just a little bit into um, how we get there, which is sort of the uh, partly the first question, partly this question. Um, you know, f- from the time they're in first grade, we're introducing ta, titi, right? So those are quarter note ta, paired eighth notes titi. And so they're learning to, to create those rhythms, to read those rhythms at a basic level. Once we hit second grade, well, I guess end of first grade, second grade, they're reading on the staff just so me or lasso and me and we're just introducing little by little more advanced rhythms more advanced melodies and with each addition of a note or um, you know a type of rhythm they are reading writing decoding with that limited um, you know just ta titi and rest and then in second grade they can read write with ta titi rest and half notes and then mm-hmm. in third grade they're you know Emma's introducing six eight time where they're doing do you do 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 da do lu lu lali okay and so they're doing those same skills and it spirals through the grades bringing us up to eighth grade when we hope uh, they have learned those skills to such a level they're now applying it in their course classes or their band classes. Mm-hmm. So it starts with feel as much as yes. absolutely, it's absolutely. very much about feeling the rhythm mm-hmm. or before you're getting into the into the, the, the technicalities and the nomenclature of the, it's right. the it's great. Right. Yeah. yeah. The most important thing is that they can feel what they're doing before we talk about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's experiential. No, right. Absolutely experiential. Mm-hmm. So what can parents do to support music education at Renbrook? So going off what we were just saying, um, a lot of music is about feel. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of parents asking us when their child is three or four, my, my child is so into music, how can I support them? And a lot of people go to private lessons first, which is a great thing to have your kid involved in, um, especially as they get older. But you don't need to feel like, oh, if my child didn't take piano at the age of three, they're never going to be a great musician compared to this other child who started. It doesn't necessarily matter when they begin. If you are, uh, you know, dancing at home to a variety of music, if you're listening, if you are singing silly songs for fun and just improvising around the house, if you keep a steady beat, if you, um, you know, go see concerts around uh, your community and exposing your child to music, Mm. they are becoming musical, even if they're not reading yet. Okay, so a child who has had all all of those experiences, and then maybe when they're eight, they start an instrument, they're probably going to be more successful in a lot of ways because they are really musical already in their in their body mm-hmm. um, and they have a good feel for it. Right, and internal musicality research is starting to show starts very early on in a, in a child's life. So when a, when a woman is pregnant, by the third trimester, this, the, the fetus can hear what's going on inside of their mother's body. So they can't hear outside sounds necessarily, but they can hear and feel vibrations from their own mother. So research suggests that babies are more in tune with their own mother's voice and then also Mm -hmm. with the language that their mother speaks. So it's about the shape and tone and 
um, feel of the language. And so because they're more in tune with that, they're already getting all of those skills and they're already interacting with sound at a very, very early age. Um, another thing that you can do with a very small baby is you, you can just rock them on your knee. You can bounce them, sing them those songs, um, have them you know listen to music around the house. Mm-hmm. And all of it adds up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of it matters. Yes. So my kids are a little bit beyond that that age range now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a question in my mind is I, I have I have, my youngest is has flitted from one instrument to the next, <laughs> has tried maybe four instruments now and hasn't found the one that really is grabbing him. Is is that okay? I mean, or should should I come down and say, oh no, it's time to pick an instrument and you really need to learn this one? That's such a hard question it because really every kid is so different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of, or some kids like your son feels the need to experience a lot of things and be sure um, maybe it's true that he hasn't found the instrument. Maybe he'll circle back to one of those instruments when he's older. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I really miss this one. <laughs> um, and right. now I'm really going right. to invest my time in in this instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and, oh, yeah. Well, and just wondering, you know, if, if that's a tendency they have in other hobbies or interests in their life, I would perhaps be more... Uh, encouraging them to stick with one thing. Mm -hmm. But if it's really, you know, in other aspects of their life, they've really stuck to things, but music is just one of those things they haven't found what they really like yet, keep letting them explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if they're a serial... Uh, explorer. Yeah. <laughs> you might want right. to help them. Right. Commit to something for at least a period of time before they move on to something else. And just right. think about your adult peers. How many people have you heard say, oh my gosh, I wish my parents didn't let me quit piano. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I've heard that from mm-hmm. so many people. Or like, oh, I wish my parents made me do this. Yeah. Right. And so in the moment, we want to make our kid comfortable if they feel like they don't love it. But sometimes it really does take time. And practicing an instrument is not always fun. Mm-hmm. Right. But the better you get at it, the more fun it becomes. Yeah. Right. That's and a really good point. The, biggest, reward, yeah. the yes. biggest lesson that I like to, to teach in beginning band is, you know, what you put into the instrument is what you're going to get out of it. Yeah. So a lot of the times the students look around the room and they see, oh my gosh, so-and-so, they're so much better than me. But they don't always put it together that that other student is practicing regularly mm-hmm. and that they themselves it's are only magic. practicing once or twice a week. Yeah, it's not magic. <laughs> it's a, it's a, like a, you know, a linear equation. It's just the more you put in, yeah. the more you get out. Right, right. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question um, that I just thought of um, about YouTube videos and teaching. Um, do you use those for students to learn instruments? Or I always recommend students look on YouTube. There, is, there are so many resources. I haven't used it so much in the classroom, um, except if I didn't know something. So, for example, there was something that happened in a fifth grade percussion class, and it was a type of rudiment, which is basically a scale for percussion, and I had never heard of it before. And so we looked it up together and we had a professional teach us how to do it on YouTube and I think mm-hmm. that's a great lesson for the students you know um, just because you're a musician doesn't mean you you know everything about music mm-hmm. so you know Mrs. Dawson and I are always learning about music ourselves right and we like to model that with the students mm-hmm and I know that you give the kids specific assignments, but you have yes. one fifth grade clarinet player who said, oh, yeah, there's a guy on YouTube who helps me, pra- me practice at home. Yeah. So, you know, he yeah. has his yeah. guy on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And that is motivating for this child. And he, sure. he practices right. quite a lot. And some of the time he's on YouTube learning learning different things that right. he might not. It's always good to have like multiple it. music teachers. Yeah. In there. That's right. terrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Katie and Emma, let's um, have you share some uh, samples from um 
some of the music that you've produced in the, in the different grades. Right. So uh, we have two recordings of choral music, two recordings of instrumental music. So we're going to start with choral. We're going to hear uh, the lower school choir last year singing a piece called All Night, All Day. that there's one melody that's beginning. So half of the kids are singing that one melody, and then the other group is singing a separate, different melody. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are different ways of introducing harmony uh, to kids or to people. Uh, one way is with rounds. So think everyone knows, are you sleeping or Frere Jacques? Right. And then you're singing through, someone else enters later, but you're singing the same tune. Um, that's a simple way of introducing. There's also, mm. um, the, what you just heard was an example of a partner song in a way. When one group has a part, maybe different words than the other group, completely different tunes, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and you'll hear a contrasting example with the upper school if you don't quite know what I mean. But it's easier for young kids to not be singing the same words at the same time on different notes. For example, I might say, you know, Emma, your part is, ooh, here, and I'm here. That's hard for a young kid to just hold their own note at the same time as someone else singing a completely different note. Yeah. Um, but if you have one tune and I have a different tune at the same time, it's easier for me to hang on to my tune. Yeah. Okay? So that's that's uh, a way to introduce harmony in a, in a right. simpler way for young children. Yeah. And that kind of education starts in around second grade. Mm -hmm. We start introducing rounds and partner songs in second grade, the very easy ones. Yep. Uh, we do that all the way through third, fourth, and fifth grade. Um, something I really love to do with students is to get them to be so confident in a round by third or fourth grade that they will sing it in a duet with me, the teacher. Mm, yeah. So if they can do anything in a smaller group or by themselves, it nurtures that independence and that confidence to then do it in a larger group with a with a more confident voice. Mm -hmm. And so when the kids are in seventh and eighth grade and they're auditioning for Renaissance, one of the things that they have to do uh, as part of the audition is singing around with me um, mm -hmm. because that shows the ability to just hold their part mm -hmm. all on their own, stay in tune and stay accurate when they're hearing something else. Uh, so this other clip is, is Renaissance singing a piece called Siahamba. This piece is an example of what I talked about where the sopranos are on one part, the altos are on another part. Uh, well, in this particular group, I had soprano ones, soprano twos, and altos. So we were in three-part harmony. Um, but Dave noticed that there's also a little bit of difference with uh, entrances. So we've got yen quen kos. They're entering differently and they're separate than the other groups. Um, this is a fairly easy version of a three-part piece because the chords aren't too funky. It's very uh, predictable. straightforward, predictable, repetitive. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's pretty easy for me to teach. See a hum, 
see a hum, see a hum. Those are the starting notes, and then they go for it. Um, Granted, it still takes time for them not to all just drift to the melody, because that is the tendency. They all want to sing, see a hum. But nope, nope, see a hum. (laughs) And I have to direct them back while we're in the learning process. Um, But that's something that when they're older, they're able to lock in to those rhythms, or sorry, to, to those harmony parts. Uh, with practice. So at that age, do you need to still spend time with each uh, with each group separately so they're not hearing the other parts and just say, we're going to practice the alto part right now? Oh, and- yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I teach that particular piece, um, I make them put the music down and I teach them by rote just a little bit so they're not looking at the music. I'm just singing at them and they're echoing. So I typically don't start with the melody because... Because then everyone has heard the melody first. (laughs) I want to start with the hardest part. So I taught the alto part first. And I just taught that little bit, did it a couple times, just them. Then I teach the middle part, do that a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once I've taught all three parts, I'll say, okay, melody and middle part only. Melody and lowest part only, mm-hmm. and layers. a bunch of times so because layers. they will not get it the first time. Yes, all <laughs> yes, about the layers. all about the layers, and then <laughs> finally put it in three. See how it goes um, with a piece like this that's a cappella, no piano. In the learning process, if if one part is just always drifting, and actually with this group, the low part did often drift. It took them a while. We'd be singing it mostly a cappella, but I would be supporting the bottom note on the piano. Um, with just the starting pitch, because as long as they started correctly, they'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have that foundation yeah. of independence and listening. They can, yes. They see how their part fits in once they start. Right. But if you start a little bit too high or too low, it's it's mm-hmm. a little bit trickier to, to yes. find your way back home. Yes. All right, so now we're going to listen to an example of the lower school band. This is a clip from a May concert. So the fourth graders at this point had had from September to May of learning, and the fifth graders had had the previous year and then September to May of learning. And the song we're going to listen to is called The William Tell Overture. You might have heard of it. So what we're doing in this kind of a song with students that have only been playing a year or maybe two years is we are really focusing on getting them to be really confident on one part and then layering, just like we talked about with the with the choir, layering mm-hmm. maybe one or maybe two other parts, but very simple parts. So we're still really doing ta's and tt's, maybe a whole note, which is four beats long, but it's not really complicated rhythm Um, and even though it's still just quarter notes and eighth note pairs they have a very hard time staying together because some of them want to go faster some of them want to go slower Mm. and getting them to listen to the whole group is a really long exciting process Mm. and one thing I, I used to teach beginning band like Emma does and as a brand new teacher I I learned quickly that a lot of kids have the hardest time when they have rests in the music. That means mm-hmm. they have oh, yeah. beats where they need to wait yes. for their entrance. That's incredibly hard because they don't have the independence. Right. Um, it's not easy for them to count and say, okay, one, two, three, four, two, 
two, three, bum, bum, bum. It's right. very hard for them to enter at the right time. So Emma has to be an acrobat cueing all these different entrances right. while they're getting mm-hmm. used to counting and being independent, and she's helping them build that skill. Yeah. The next song, the last song we're going to listen to, is an example of the upper school bands. And uh, this is the 7th and 8th grade band in a May concert. So so the 7th graders have maybe been playing since 4th grade. And the 8th graders, this is in their last year at Renbrook. And the song we're going to listen to is called Lassus Trombone, which featured our trombone section. very big difference between the tone of the beginner students and the tone of the upper school students. I don't know if you remember from the William Tell, but there was a squeak right at the beginning. <laughs> right? So these kids are still not covering all of their holes yet. They're, you know, they might be overblowing or underblowing air. And um, by the time we get to seventh and eighth grade, those problems are much fewer much, much fewer and far between. So mm-hmm. number one thing to notice is that just in general, the tone, the breathing is of a much higher quality. I like to tell the kids, we're going for sophistication. Every year <laughs> you're becoming a little more sophisticated. Um, in terms of rhythm and melody, this song sounds harder than it is. So that's also something great for middle school because they want to feel like they're doing something really challenging. And Mm -hmm. for the most part, that trombone part is very challenging Mm -hmm. because they are playing, um, they're playing unison rhythm, but it's a tricky rhythm. And they're all of the different trombone parts are playing some different notes at times. Mm -hmm. So it is complicated rhythm and complicated melody, some really high notes for the trombones. We had to spend a lot of time getting up to those high notes. And that was perfect for that particular group of students because we have students in that section who take private lessons and who are ready for a a bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, the trombone parts are not as exciting (laughs) as maybe the flute or clarinet parts because they're usually a uh, a harmony part. They're doing a lot of lower, slower notes. Mm -hmm. But um, you always want to switch that up because occasionally you have trombone players who are ready for that melodic part who are ready to be the lead. So their part was fairly challenging. Um, The background part if you were listening, was mostly in unison rhythm-wise. They're playing the same thing pretty much the whole song. So while it sounds interesting in the background, it's very repetitive for the other students. So it's just a matter of teaching them maybe five or six, seven measures of music, and then they repeat that the whole song. Mm. So they're building confidence and, of course, doing the rest counting, which we talked about earlier. Mm. So the hard part for them might be waiting for their entrance, although that song was really catchy. So (laughs) you can kind of feel when you're supposed to come in also. Yeah. The technique that you're using is it's it's fascinating to get a window in on that. I think that's not necessarily visible to to the layperson, to the parents listening to all of this happening. Um, we're running low on time. Can is there a final word on the importance of music education, or uh, that you want to you want to throw in here before we wrap up? We've talked a lot about the skills that we're trying to instill in our children here, um, but one thing that I would also say is when when asked to think back to memorable school experiences that we've all had, I think that a lot of us will remember. Um, being part of a team or a group. And so for some people that's athletics, for some people that's music Mm. or the arts. And so there's this magical community that 
uh, has the potential to be created when you're part of a choir, when you're a part of a band or a part of a sports team, and you get to, uh, you know, go on a trip together, you get to go to games together, you get to put on a show together. And there's just something so meaningful and emotional about that, mm-hmm. I think, for a lot of kids to have that sense of belonging and importance. Um, there's a quote, and I, I wish I had it in front of me because I don't know it verbatim, that choir is the only team sport, and this would apply to band too, where no one is ever on the bench. Mm-hmm. Right. So everybody matters all the time in our music ensembles. And I think that's a really great thing for kids to be a part of. Absolutely. Wow. Katie and Emma, just love hearing (laughs) about the thought behind your music program and hearing the passion that you um, bring to the music program here at Rembrook. So I want to thank everybody for listening today. And hopefully you'll visit the music showcase um, at the Making Learning Visible showcase. And um, you can find the link to our podcast on the My Renbrook Resource Board. And as we say goodbye, um, we're going to be listening to the fourth and fifth grade choir singing Simple Gifts, featuring current sixth grader Tristan Buttimer on cello. So Dave, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you. See you next time. Yeah.